All right. We're recording this on the 21st of September. Hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proofcast, takes to the ether, this time from the salubrious confines of anarchist headquarters located somewhere in Lower California. I know we weren't designated an anarchist hideout, but... God damn it, we want to be. <laughs> what did Maurice White say that you had to, you couldn't prevent the groove? You couldn't interrupt the groove? Yeah, we were in the, uh, well, my name's Greg Proofs. Who are you, <laughs> lady? I'm Jennifer. You know who you are. Uh, we're here at the Fortress of Proofitude, getting in the groove with Maurice White and AWF, Earth, Wind, and Fire. The reason we picked the song is we waited a day to play. Um, our game, and uh, here we are on the 21st, and this song starts with, do you remember the 21st of September? <laughs> so we thought it'd be a little on the nose, and also, we were at a party a couple years ago, and Allie Willis was there, who wrote a lot of songs for a lot of people, but notably, she wrote this with Earth, Wind, and Fire, and she, was the, she came in with the lyrics, and this part, this is where she, she went... She wanted lyrics there, and he said no. Right, she goes, I, I, I need to fill this in here, the body audi. Instead, I just put body audi, and Maurice Groove said, Maurice Groove, Maurice Groove indeed. Uh, Maurice White and Maurice Groove. Uh, Maurice White said in his groove, I never get in the way of the groove, and Allie. she begged, begged to change it. Yep, and he would know. And then this is what you get. It appears to me that we might have told this story before, but fuck you, it's a, sh- it's a free show. It's a free country, too, <laughs> goddammit. You get the freedom to do whatever you... Hey, um, let's not bury the lead. I have a show coming up with Who's Live Anyway. We haven't been on the road in six months, and uh, we're coming up together virtually uh, to do what we like to call an improv masterish class. I don't even know what that means. You can go to whosliveanyway.com. It's me, Rai Rai, uh, um... This is what we call each other. Uh, Rai Rai, uh, Jerry, and, really? uh, and jo- Joel Murray. <laughs> because one time we were stuck at the airport and Joel left his bag at security. Joel Murray. And by the way, happy birthday to Bill Murray. It's Bill Murray's birthday today. He's um, 180. <laughs> um, Joel, uh, Joel left his bag at security and the security guards were pouring over his name tag. And one of them, he, as he came back, went, are you Joel Murray? And so ever <laughs> since then, we have called him, <laughs> J- much like Jarrell, Superman's dad, he's Joel Murray. Jeff Davis, um, I have pretended not to know his name for the entire time I've known him. So I often call him Jefferson or Jerry. And then Ryan is, of course, Rai Rai for obvious reasons, because his name's Rai Rai. Anyway, we're all playing together. Um, there'll be uh, spritzing and schnitzing. Uh, there's some kind of half-assed set list that we put together. There's a special guest. It's a surprise. I'm not going to tell you who. You know who they are. They're a famous person. Here, I'll read you from what was written here on the website. Improv Master... What day is it, Greg? Don't bury the lead. October 3rd at 5 o'clock Pacific Daylight Time. Uh, that's Pacific Day Drinking Time to those of you on the West Coast. And the Anarchist Enclave, bring some soup to throw. By, by the way, the show's got a new sponsor, Jennifer, and it's called Soup to Throw. When you don't have time to go back to your family and bring them soup, freeze a can of this and hurl it at the authorities. Mm. Just the other day, people were twerking at the authorities uh, in here, West Hollywood. There was a sheriff's, <laughs> the sheriff's department here is in a terrible state, and the whole board of supervisors is calling for them to resign, the sheriff here. And yeah, they were, they've been protesting a list of unbelievably illegal extra-curricular uh, murders the cops have taken on themselves, the sheriffs. And yes, they put up a terrible plastic half-ass curly-cue corral fence, they call it. I thought it was a, a creative way of tackling yeah, it, a woman was got, to twerk at them. It was, it was a group of people. Yeah, 
and so they got right up to the fence and put their butts on it and twerked madly and someone yelled Duffy 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 <laughs> like Big Frida Improv Master-ish class is an online improv comedy workshop experience dot 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 ish I didn't use the ellipse I, I hesitate to use ellipses um, I don't hate them uh, with the fervency that I hate the Oxford comma and the exclamation point However, I find them um, not kitten-ish enough for me. Join the cast of His Live anyway. See what we did? For a behind-the-scenes experience where they share their years of wisdom. And someone said, how many years is that between all of you? Don't ask. I said countless aeons. I don't want to say I've been doing improv a long time, Jennifer. When you first saw me, we used to cast shadows on the wall to reenact the hunt. Uh, <laughs> Moskoks and whatnot. The giant uh, uh, buffalo that lived then. Um, the Ground Sloth of California. The was, first gig at the cave at Lesko. Right. And Lesko was a great gig. Um, it was, you know, it's nice to be back. Let me put it that way. Um, boy, I, I, took, I, got, I took a mammoth to get here. Did they <laughs> take the long way? <laughs> How do you keep this many hams at home? Right? Under lock and key. You don't. I, I think Joel's uh, out uh, all around. He's, I don't know where he is. His whereabouts are unknown. Jeff, I think, is playing his ukulele and drinking beer. Hmm. And Ryan's up in the great Northwest where he lives with his giant blue oxen babe. And um, for 24 years, Ryan Stiles. And then it gives our credits, which I love because this is our website, but it gives our credits. (laughs) Ryan Stiles brackets. Whose line is it anyway? Comma, two and a half men. No mention of uh, of anything else he's ever been on. (laughs) For instance, the movie, one of my favorite parts of his career. Hot Shots Part Deux with Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Greg Proops, whose line is it anyway? And then fantastically, Bob the Builder is my other credit. <laughs> I was on True Jackson. I did several unsuccessful game shows, both here and in the UK. I've had radio shows, a, a, a book. I, I was in Nightmare Before Christmas. I've been in a couple movies that people have heard of. Bob the Builder. I love it. Because you know what? A lot of improv people, the Venn diagram, when you look at it, goes two and a half men. Whose line is it anyway? Bob the Builder. And then Joel Murray. And Joel, by the way, has been in show business for 100 years, was a graduate of Second City with Chris Farley, um, was on Dharma and Greg for seven years, yeah. had two or three other sitcoms that ran a long time. He's in Long Hot Wet, what's that one called? Long Hot Wet Summer, that, that cult summertime film. He's in that. He's also in a baseball picture with... Um, Who's the woman who's in Sideways uh, that's so good? Ginny Madsen. How is it that you have never been in a baseball movie? Right? How is that? But I've made a bunch of baseball documentaries and hosted the Negro League and made podcasts of baseball. And I did a baseball documentary for Radio 5 with uh, that had everybody. Had, uh, we had um, uh, Larry Ritter, who wrote Glory of Their Times, and uh, Gee Whiz. We, so, yeah, that was that was fun. That was a long time ago, in the 30s. Um, Joel Murray has a, a resume, as they say, as long as your arm. <laughs> he's in a picture where he's a combative um, sort of right-wing nutbag who kills people called God Bless America, that he's the star of, um, which I called... Oh, as uh, of the icing, I think for the first two years he was with the group. No, I never didn't. No, and he, every night I'd go, he would just Greg, not. Greg, it's God Bless America. <laughs> and I'd be like... Oh, right. I'm sorry. Because I go, it's America the Beautiful. Every night it was something bad. And he'd just go, it's God bless America. It's not that hard. And then he, I'd see him pouring a whiskey before the show. And i go, whiskey? And he goes, it's how we note the changing of the seasons. <laughs> um, and then, of course, Jeff Davis, who's been in nothing. They've, uh, we've been out 24 years on the road. 
when did we start? 1999? Is that 24 years? Do you remember when we went out with Joel and his wife and they were celebrating, oh, not celebrating, but observing Lent? Lent. And they had given up bread and wine, and mm-hmm. that lasted until the second course. Till the bread came? Uh, I believe we were at Musso's, and when you sit at Musso's, they give you half a loaf of French bread to start the meal. It's the old school, with, with the butter and the, and the ramekin. Yeah. And we found out it was from a Basque family in the valley that is just, oof. It's really delicious. Pretty stellar Well, bread. they're going to, we talked to the owner of uh, uh, Musso the other day, Muck and um, they are going to open again. They, they're not closing. I, they, they've stopped doing takeout, but I think they're just waiting for like restaurants to reopen in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. And we're on the curve, so here we go. Jeff B. Davis is in a lot of things, but Jeff and I have a running joke on the road where we're in the battle of disappointing resume. And that's where most of my career was shot to pieces in the battle of disappointing resume. Jeff had a sitcom with. That's how he had a sitcom with Christine Baranski and um, who was the guy on Night Court? Uh, John LaRocat. Really high end. It lasted one season. He played the son, but he got a comedy education because he would never stop telling us well, about yeah. what LaRocat would say to him, you know. And then he was on another show on the CW that was like this improvised piece of it, it was him and chip and it was like he owned a hotel but the point of it was tim conway was on that Ooh. so jeff's got to work with like uh people that are so much better than him <laughs> and it, it doesn't seem to rub off you may remember him as the comptroller on harmontown and then later as one of the weird uh D characters in harman quest and of course he's been on whose line for 100 years uh have shared the stage delighting audiences is that what you do? I, I, I see delight on their faces, but also inside I, I feel a, a, a welling of pain that I can relate to when I'm on stage. <laughs> and I think over the internet you'll really get that highlighted all across the UK, U.S. and Canada and are now opening up their improv lives to you, whether a fan of the live show, a student of, imp- a student of improv, or someone who enjoys enjoyable experiences. Who wrote this? I'm not going to tell you, but you know them. <laughs> yes. Laughter is guaranteed. I didn't. Laughter is guaranteed. Laughter is guaranteed. Um, do you remember the Spice Girls uh, said, um, friendship never ends? Yes. What is it? Never Loving. It's what is a it? threat. It's a threat. Right? How does the line go? If you want to be my lover. I, I try to block it out. You got to get with my friends. Friendship is forever. No, no. Something is forever. Friendship never ends. I've forgotten oh. the lyric. Don't make me play it. Oh. Laughter is guaranteed is our Spice Girl thing. Uh, it's through a place called HowSeats.Live. But if you go to Who'sLive.com, Who'sLive.com, and click on it, there's a giant bloody link for it. It's October 3rd. It's my birthday. Thank you for asking. I'll be 74, and I look awesome. On uh, September 26th, which is coming up this Saturday, a uh, live cast right here from the Porpoise of Fruititude. I'm going to put on cologne and fancy shoes, even though you can't see it or smell it. We're going to have Dank and Vodka dancing, drinking, and lots to talk about. It's the Smartest Man in the World live podcast recording. That's uh, my website, gregproops.com. In fact, all these things are, but it's called the Nowhere Comedy Club. You've, you've seen it. You've heard it. Saturday, September 26th at 6.30, Proops Daylight Time. And then I have three coming up in October at the Nowhere October 5th, I'm going to do stand-up. But that's just two days after the Who's Live show. How can you gain yourself and recruit yourself again after such vigorous exertions at your unbelievably steadying and yet superannuated age? You seem to lumber <laughs> forward with the tenacity of a, a, the can of the clay bear or the clan of the cave Whoa. bear. Yeah, the can of the clay bear. You know who uh, produced the um, can of the clay bear? Maurice Groove. 
He does all songs. I'm one step away from saying Tim Apple at this point, right? And Mark Facebook. Gosh, I hope not. And then October 17th, the G thing with Ben Glebe. Uh, that's the Glebling. We've done it before. That one's always pretty wild. I'm going to try to keep Ben down to two and a half hours this time. The last one was, I think, four hours from beginning to end. It was a marathon. Well, we do a meet and greet after, too. The thing is, there's marijuana smoking, virtual, virtual marijuana smoking. And then he said to me, I lose track of time. And I'm like, that's the difference between you and me. But there are performers trapped at home. Right? Well, obviously. There's a lot of, yeah. Pent up. Yeah. Pent up! <laughs> uh, October 30th, uh, uh, the night before Halloween, um, one more live poop cast for the road and to the valley below. That's my schedule. Those aren't posted yet, the 5th, the 17th, and the 30th. I'm just giving all y'all a heads up, as they say. Um, the Grammys were good last night, except that they were the Emmys! Whoa! Um, the Grammys are... <laughs> Uh, the Grammys were good, actually, when they were on. I was surprised the last few award shows. I hate award shows. And the last couple we watched were really good. The Grammys had that awesome... Um, they did a tribute to Aerosmith, which was bitching. And they had Ariana mm-hmm. Grande come out and sing my favorite things. Well, and, and the Emmys, they actually gave uh, awards to people of color. Oh, Zendaya got one, <laughs> Regina King. Yes. I mean, really? Oh, Catherine O'Hara. Oh, my God. Catherine, Catherine O'Hara is so... Deserving, Everyone loved that character, Moira Rose. And um, I'm not going to go into it too much because I don't want to betray anything. But, of course, uh, we know Catherine O'Hara because she's in Nightmare Before Christmas and we've done it live with her a bunch of times, including last year in uh, Scotland, Ireland, and London. And we flew over with her. and We didn't flow over. We flew from London to Ireland. I mean, it's uh, Scotland, whatnot. Whoa. Yeah, Scotland, Ireland. It's just one big green plod thing up there, isn't it? I sat next to her on the flight from London to Glasgow, and I thought, okay, she just, we had already been in London, but she had just flown in, and I thought, okay, well, she'll probably want to, you know, take a Have a glass of wine and chill. Have a moment. No, we never stopped talking. No, no, you riffed the whole way, We never stopped talking, and it was so much fun. She's an amazing human being and astonishingly talented comedian years ago i met her on whose line in like 99 it might have been the first year we did it for abc it was like a summer you guys this is how old i am it was a summer replacement program something had dropped out of the schedule or they'd shit can something so abc brought drew in with ryan and we did six episodes over at ktla and one of them i swear to you was Catherine o'hare i don't know how they fucking got her but they got her and she goes i'm nervous and i go why and she goes because we're doing improv and i went I don't care. I love you. And then I was hosting a crop game show that we were improvising, which was hilarious. I don't think we've ever done it again. It was basically a made-up game show. I had to make up the rules, everything. It was just sort of game show was the format. So I said, uh, contestant number two, what's your name? And she went, Shanky Shankerman. And that was when I fell over laughing. Shanky Shankerman. Anyway, uh, congratulations to all the people who got the Emmys last night. It seemed like such a right-on show. There was um, they let Tyler Perry. Cox give up. and Tyler yeah. Perry. And yeah, it was... It was really, uh, it, it seemed like you could focus on what people were saying more than the traditional award show. Didn't you feel like during the Democratic Convention, it almost plays better as this kind of show, a virtual show? I mean, yes. the, I hate the banter where they come out and they're like, our next presenters are Slammy McTavish and Kame Chopas. And they but go, the, hi, the, Slammy. The yelling and the screaming. I don't, yeah. I don't really need that. I like to hear the message. I mean, I know it's a company picnic. I know, you know, award shows and festivals are company. We don't get to see each other because we don't all work together. You know, comedians, actors, whatever. Also so kind it, of awesome that they are 
that they're still going on despite every all the craziness that's happening right mm-hmm. now. Well, Kimmel said at the beginning of the show, he goes, uh, everything's crazy, the world's horrible. And he goes, we, we're going to have fun for like an hour. Right, Do you mind? Right. And uh, I'll say they had a DJ and not an orchestra. I'm all for orchestras because they put people to work. But when you can't have a bunch of guys sitting and women sitting next to each other, when you can't have a group like that, you a DJ is a really awesome way to go because it kind of keeps things moving along. and. Mm-hmm. Also, a little peppier without all the junk. Then it became a, l- a little bit more about the content, like you say, of what people were saying in their speeches. One guy thanked his therapist and said therapy should be free. <laughs> right? uh, uh, the, 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 the Watchmen producer gave an impassioned speech about Tulsa being a white atrocity mm-hmm. and that, uh, you know, white terrorism in America is such an important topic right now. And Tyler Perry came out and talked about being recognized as, you know. And talk about, I mean, the Watchmen, the fact that uh, we were talking about it uh, last night, that... The characters where Regina King wears a mask, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, it's all about this heavy-handed abuse of power. Yeah. It just seems like, huh? Super appreciant. You huh. mean the ultra-racist people who decided to basically do an army attack on mm-hmm. the black people of their, um, on not just the black people, the affluent section, because they were so angry about it. it it's a It's a wild show. And I was really chuffed as a performer. Uh, now I'm starting to sound like I'm on the Emmys. As a, as a performer, it's important for us to How recognize. How did it make you feel, Greg? Well, Jennifer, amazing. Because performers only have one adjective. Mine's astonishing. Theirs is amazing. Remember when Joanna Lumley did the travel show and she went to Nepal? Mm-hmm. And the, 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 Fantastic. Was it the review in The Guardian? I can't remember. They, they said she only packed one adjective. Right. Fantastic. Everywhere, everywhere, John. So here we are, Nepal and Bhutan, really, really at the top of this temple. Darling, it's fantastic. Well, she really is that person. She's a posh bird who smokes cigarettes. Remember when they stranded her on an island and the, the cameraman yes, had to give her cigarettes? Cause, but also, she was capable. Oh, no, don't no, don't no. Uh, Daddy was a Gurkha. Or da- Daddy was, she was, was in the Gurkha's unit, right? Yeah. He was an officer yes, of the Gurkha's. Yeah. So she can, I'm sure she can field strip a rifle and... And, and fornicate you to death. Um, but I was really chuffed for uh, Regina King because oh my God. Uh, she's one of the more skipped over actresses. And uh, she's played in every picture. Well, I, th- I think she got her first uh, Emmy in her late 40s. Yeah. It's and just, since then, she hasn't hasn't stopped. Hasn't no, no. I mean, she can't stop winning. It was great to see her headline a show. Yes. I mean, I realized that was a divergence. We weren't going to go in there. What did you want to jump into? Um, I thought we would start with... Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I think we've got to start the show. You're right. Oh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That was such a terrible day. Rosh Hashanah it was, and Lashana Tova. It Tovita, was pretty shocking. And it, exactly. It was on Rosh Hashanah. Um, it, that makes her a sacred person, you realize, because God waited a whole year until the first mm-hmm, day started again. Mm-hmm. And it, it is considered, uh, you know, the, the time where the the most the most high get taken. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was nonetheless shocking, even though uh, she had been through so much. She had fought cancer time and time again. Oh, yeah. She'd been in the hospital this year. She was 87 years old. But the magnitude of what she accomplished, she was um, one of two Jewish members of the Supreme Court appointed by Bill Clinton. Right. She was appointed Breyer. in, in uh, right, Stephen Breyer and, and her. She was appointed by Bill Clinton in 1993. And she served for 27 years. 
how well I remember because her appointment hearing was the exact opposite of Anita Hill's and it was Joe Biden that was on that Judiciary Committee. Mm-hmm. She, I think it was 97 to 3 or something. of her with Biden mm. uh, on that day when she was uh, confirmed. Um, Only the second woman on the court after Sandy Day. She, right. She had been uh, appointed to appeals court by Jimmy Carter. And then... Uh, it's funny how. Is Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, Joe yes. Biden that are pushing this along here? Uh-huh. That are helping? Mm-hmm. Well, and and the awesome two women that Obama got to the court. Kagan and Sotomayor. Yes. There were nine women in her class, and when she graduated, Felix Frankfurter. Well, she transferred. She had been, that was at Harvard. Oh, and she, Harvard. And she transferred. But yeah, how it it's inconceivable to think about what she went through uh, trying to get uh, to where she ended up, um, and she had. She had a wonderful spouse, Marty, who, who supported her, who was also a, lo- a lawyer and a professor, um, who wrote a, a beautiful letter. Did you read that? I did. It was uh, unbelievably moving. And he also was cool enough of a husband to the first year she was in law school. He took care of the kid. Yes. And he did all the cooking. Yep. How about those apples? I think, you know, Kamala Harris's husband could maybe step up in that area. Uh, This is an issue with which I'd rather not go into too deeply. My own deficiencies (laughs) extend to the kitchen. Yeah, there's been a lack of that. Anyway, um, she was always a a defender, uh, a fighter for gender equality. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as much as anyone in this country oh has ever God. produced. Oh my God! And in and in such a um, a beautiful way, she really uh, she really tried to get people on board as opposed to being this combatant. She uh, would lower her voice. She was always over prepared, like yeah. Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Um, and we there's a wonderful documentary about her, uh, and we also have. Uh, someone gave us the that book. was given that test, but I no, they didn't inscribe it, so I can't remember who gave it to us. And there's no card in it, uh, but we have the notorious RBG, right? Book. Which which is a really charming book because you can flit around. And uh, her husband's favorite recipe is in here, which is ahem, pork wine. Shana Tova <laughs> and her her workout uh, regime. Uh, Parts of her opinions. Oh yes, which are mighty mm-hmm. because they're always so thoughtful and she became ever when when the court became more conservative her opinions became more personal mm-hmm. and pointed she laid down everything with a super sonic precision and her arguments when she was arguing in front of the supreme court um as a lawyer were always uh, unbelievably well crafted one of her clerks said they would send back, you know, the briefs and stuff with their markings on them. And that she went through every single one in her longhand cursive. And the highest compliment she got, she said, when she was quirking for her was, Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote over one of her comments, just right. <laughs> and she said that was how she approached everything. She didn't go at anything willy-nilly. And when the argument was really on the line and needed to be persuasive, she won more than she lost. Mm-hmm. Like you say, the court got really conservative. And, you know, what's going on right now, obviously, to replace her seat is going to be an epic 
destroy all monsters battle. But I don't want to hear that she didn't do enough. She did. She gave the full measure of her devotion. I I really loathe the argument that she should have stepped down. Boo. Because, first of all, they weren't going to let Obama appoint anyone. Not after Kagan. But also, she was banking on that Hillary Clinton would be president. Mm -hmm. We all were in a way. Yes. Let's talk about what she did. Uh, The right to sign a mortgage without a man for a woman. The right to have a bank account. Can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, we were in Australia and we watched that show there and it was the same thing in Australia. But Greg, when we when we first moved to London, I couldn't get a cell phone without... My name? Yes. Yeah. And I remember having to present our marriage license right. a, a variety of times. I couldn't... In England, I, it wasn't acceptable for a lot of creditors that I, w- I had a different last name. Right. Uh, so these, all these things are just so amazingly important. Is your last name still Bork White? Really? Um, the right to have a bank account without a male cosigner. The right to have a job without being discriminated based on gender. How do you like those apples? The right for women to be pregnant and have kids and work. The right to a pension equal to male counterparts. Right, because she had had she had a job uh, when she was pregnant, and she was. They, they straight up said to her, we're, we're going to pay you less. Mm-hmm. Because you're pregnant. Yes. And, you, oh, and, oh, you might have to leave. And fantastically, coming from that bastion of sexism law, um, uh, for her to break through on every level, she couldn't get a job when she graduated. And Felix Frankfurter, who was the first Jew put on the court, and that was by Roosevelt, had an opening in his office and said straight up, I'm not going to give it to a woman. So she practiced law for over a dozen years and then got appointed to a court by Carter in 80. She graduated in what? Mm-hmm. The early 60s? Mm-hmm. Um, the right for men to receive widow or social security benefits. A woman died, left her husband and child. She had paid into the social security system for 20 years. They refused to give the husband her social security. Yes. And so Ruth Bader Ginsburg argued for that and got it. Well, and all those uh, arguments had profound ramifications for other cases. Yes. Where people could um, try to bend this, this, these draconian ideas. Oh, my God. Uh, the, woman, the right for a woman to put her husband on her health insurance if the employer covered male workers' wives and wow. overlooked equal pay victory. Uh, equality was something that was so foremost in her mind. And she, for all of her uh, sobriety, had a lot of flair. The jabots that she wore, mm-hmm. this is from Town and Country Magazine, which we don't often quote on the show. <laughs> it's from this year, and it's called Ruth Bader Ginsburg's Collars Decoded, What Each Neck Piece Means. So... This one I love because it's called the I'm Not a Fan of Him. And this was after the Kavanaugh hearing. She wore this. What is it? Can you read that? It's Pega- a Pegasus necklace. Well, describe it. It's like a flared out, well, it, it, beautiful... I think it looks like a warrior princess. Yes. Like she, she's declaring battle Yep. with that necklace. She had broken a bunch of her ribs then. That was a couple of years ago, if you remember. And she'd come back. And uh, the way Town and Country magazine, which isn't known for its lefty politics or anything really other than covering rich people in the places they live, (laughs) after a bruising process in which he defended himself against accusations of rape and heavy drinking, Ginsburg selected a Stella and Dot necklace that looked like a cross between a feathered wing and spiky armor. The majority opinion. That's when she's winning. Look at this one. Um, That Jabot is... She added it was a gift from her law clerks. It's elaborate. 
It looks like a Spanish it, exactly. donut from the sixteenth, uh, seventeenth mm-hmm. right. century. It's very lacy, and uh, are those little metal additions coming off of it? It looks like it. My eyesight. Uh, this this one I love the dissenting opinion, uh-huh. and she said, "This is my dissenting collar. It looks fitting for dissents." <laughs> and after Trump's election, she wore it to sit on the bench, even though they didn't issue decisions that day. I read that Sandra Day O'Connor and her had agreed that they were going to wear collars because the robes were only made for men that oh they were given God. that were they were supposed to feature your uh collar and necktie right so of course she, it's so sexist she ended up i think getting her robes from england she didn't even at, at the end bother with their crappy regulation ones yeah at the robe store in Washington. The favorite was the simple white jabot from South Africa. She pointed out to Katie Crick for the rest of her collection. It was from Cape Town. Um, it's called the Ruth Bader Ginsburg Lace Necklace. You can get it from Etsy. Well, there's a version on well, Etsy. Well, that version, but the one she wore was that one that's just a beautiful doily-like yeah. lace that... Well, she's quite stylish. And then the original, and that's the one she took her portraits in, it's kind of a... There's a like a little... Christmassy t- uh, tie portion on top, and then it's mm-hmm. a straight white scarf all the way down. Um, the French justices wore them, and that's why she chose it. The standard robe's made for a man because it has a place for the shirt, and as you said, I have many, many collars. Jennifer found this quote, and I thought it was really beautiful by her. And I, her life is a complete success as much as anyone's life can be. She beat cancer a bunch of times. She beat broken ribs. She fell asleep at the State of the Union. She let them know... That was because she'd had a glass of wine. She let them know exactly what she thought and what she felt. Her fervent wish was to live until the new president was put in because she knew how important it was. Because she can't do that, we have to pick up extra hard for her. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of damning her and damning the night, um, lift up your jabot and and strap it on, baby. Absolutely. I, I love that she was always working out. Uh, she was lifting weights. She was doing the plank. She was doing a, yeah. a, a very serious workout plan. Mm. And Alina Kagan boxes. That's so awesome. And smoke cigars, according to you. <laughs> uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg in a 2015 interview on how she'd like to be remembered. And we didn't play any music. We'll play right, some right now. Opera? I'm going to play it right now. Opera. Uh, here's uh, something that's lovely um, by it's Puccini, Tosca, um, with Leontine Price, because opera was her favorite. And this is what Ruth Bader Ginsburg said. Someone who used whatever talent she had to do her work to the very best of her ability and to help repair tears in her society, to make things a little better through the use of whatever ability she has. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is adjudicating in the heavens. love opera. She was on stage in operas. She's a supernumerary in several operas, which I love her for. And the look on her face is just pure delight. You could tell that she really, really dug putting on a costume and going, yeah. It was the way she 
decompressed and got it on. The other life was opera with all the color and drama. One of her granddaughters said that if she was wearing too skimpy an outfit, that she would uh, ostentatiously put a, a shawl. A over shawl. Her. Right. <laughs> you're, her you're acting like Carmen. <laughs> Calm it down a little. Go, Madam Butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is at once irreplaceable and also says that thing that Kamala always says, that Hillary always says, um, if you're the first one through the door, make sure you leave it open for everyone else. Well, what Sandra did she Day inspire? Was, well, Sorry. No, go ahead, please. No, it was since, you know, we're, we're all here mourning her passing mm-hmm. and the shock of it. Grassroots donations to Act Blue Ooh. for the Democratic candidates set a record. Over a hundred million dollars was raised in small donations in a day, right? Over right. Two, two days. Um, and we've been talking about Mike Espy, who's running for Senate in Mississippi, and that's been kind of an overlooked uh, candidate. He's now within, he's almost neck and neck with Cindy Hyde-Smith. It was a giant flurry and frenzy, wasn't it? As soon as Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed, she was such People a superstar. People were galvanized. She they was realized, a rock star. They, they realized, you know, we have got to get this done. Uh, Mike Espy set a fundraising record this weekend. He's the first African-American to serve in Congress from Mississippi since Reconstruction. Oh, yeah. And he was Bill Clinton's first Secretary of Agriculture. Let's get this done. So he's running against Cindy Hyde-Smith. She's the one who jokes about hangings, and she's the one who, yep. um, you know, has a questionable record on race. But he has a chance of defeating her, and that would be awesome if Mississippi, which has over 37% of the population, is African-American. Mm-hmm. If they had an African-American senator? Well, they would be recognized, wouldn't they? Ava DuVernay tweeted about him, and she was going to do the phone bank. You can go on there, too. It's, uh, there's lots of ways to get in there. Mobilize.us is you can go to. Also, Act Blue. Um, the thing was about Ruth Bader, her passing led to a galvanization, which is, I think, exactly what she would have wanted. Mm-hmm. Within, as you say, two days... All this money was raised. And these aren't big ticket donors. This isn't, you know, the Adelsons and the and the Mercers. This is everybody that has a job that can give twenty dollars, that can yes. give thirty dollars. And it was You can give ten dollars. All the races seismically shifted too. They're running this gag on us now where the media, the cable news and the newspapers, because they have one thing to sell. Are you going to keep coming back every day and watching or buying? I'm going on the page so that you can look at the thing that pops up that you, oh, well, I, didn't, I, know, I didn't know I needed underwear, uh, you know, <laughs> while you're on your computer or your phone. And then on TV, oh, uh, oh, fuck, right. We're all in this together, McDonald's, I forgot. And, you know, or I need tires. Well, I, mean, I think we're all aware, we should be aware that the trolls are out in force right now. We know that we have an illegitimate president who was helped by the Russians. You mean because today he said, I he like said, Putin, and Putin I, likes me? Yep. Um, but we've always known it because Hillary told us, yeah. and everything she said was true. Um, yes. One thing that's quite interesting that maybe people don't know is that uh, Mark Kelly, the former astronaut, the, wife, the husband, rather, of Gabby Giffords, who's running for Senate in Arizona... Yes. If he wins against 
McSally, who was appointed... Right, by GC. It's a special election, and he will be able to take the seat in November. Right, because because she was appointed. We're all worried, of course, about them trying to ram through a a terrible candidate for the Supreme Court. Wow, it went right to cool in the gang. That's how cool Ruth Bader Ginsburg is. (laughs) Yeah, of course. They want to put another Nazi on that, Kavanaugh. If if Mark Kelly uh, wins... He will be able to to uh, become a senator November fourth or right the thereafter. End, I think the end of November when the votes are tabulated. But that's an important thing to consider. He doesn't have to wait till January. Yeah. So uh, if there's any more defections, which I I don't want to handicap, uh, it's never a good thing to handicap or count on the GOP to do anything except at this point act in their bizarre QAnon authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we seem to have descended into kind of a tin pot, second rate, bending the laws, putting our relatives on important positions that they oughtn't be on. Um, you know who I don't. where everything's built on stealing. You know who I don't, never want to hear from are the people that didn't vote for Hillary. You know what? If you want to come back and vote for uh, uh, Biden Harris, uh, welcome back. Welcome to. What does Paul Heinrich say? Welcome back Casablanca? to sanity and democracy. Right? Thank you. Welcome back this time. I know we will win. Because uh, Humphrey Bogart says, I'm going to let you guys get on the plane. And he, he goes, <laughs> well, Paul Heinrich, that's the freedom fighter, says, welcome back to the fight. Because he's been a cynic, the whole movie that you uh-huh. couldn't count on. And then all of a sudden, um, I'm giving you the money and get out of here. And, and don't tell anyone I shot a Nazi or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that is the best part of the plot that he shoots a Nazi and everyone at the end just goes, oh, you know, yeah, what up? <laughs> um, Cal Cunningham for Senator. Yes, in please. North Carolina. He is up against Tom Tillis and he. Oh, is, that Tillis is so awful. Cal Cunningham is pulling ahead. Yep. Doug Jones in Alabama needs to retain his seat. He's a hero. He. Uh, fought for justice in Alabama. He's a crusading lawyer, and also he beat Roy Moore. Yes. I want to point out that his last Disgusting person who... Disgusting monster. A the predator. One barred, he beat a, a predator. Yeah, barred from... From a mall. Yeah. Um, M.J. Hager in Texas. Fighting against John Cornyn, who is really a piece of work. Steve Bullock in Montana. Yep. He's neck and neck, I think, right now. Yep. We're getting very close. And he was the governor of Montana, but he's running for Senate, which is a really astute move on his part. Because if there was ever a time when everyone was hurting and sentiments might shift, and, you know, you've been to Montana, you've dwelt in Montana. Um, I mean, you harbored notions of dwelling there at one point. I've, of course, always wanted to go to the upper reaches of Idaho to start my own Nazi farm and... Really? Yeah, no, I was going to raise little spiked helmets in the ground, and uh, I had this whole thing planned. I think that's already been done there. Prupus Garden, I was going to call it. Really? No. Um, Gary Peters in Michigan. And oh, yes, he, he gets overlooked. is awesome because he has gone after the Postal Service issue, mm-hmm. and he is, he is a, a terrier in that regard. He is really fighting to uncover why, how... And why they're slowing yes. the giant battle. giant court victory tonight? And the judge actually yes. ordered DeJoy to stop the nonsense. And yes. I think we're hoping that gets enacted. Teresa Greenfield in Iowa is leading Joni Ernst. Yeah, uh, Ernst is uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and of course Sarah Gideon in Maine against Susan. Collins. Uh, she's a she's a 
Oh, uh, she's up. She's almost up to uh, double digits. It's close to it. Awesome. This is the thing is like, they want you to think everything's a horse race. They also are going to keep saying it's going to tighten closer to the election. Here's the deal. This is a referendum on life and death, uh, uh, 45 and, and, and us. Um, we with the soup cans fighting in the streets uh, in our anarchist Antifa cells taking our George Soros checks have a decision to make. And that is, do we let what clearly wants to be um, the, you know, like the third Schneich take over here with their uh, totalitarianism and their babies in cages and their uh, brutal, crappy laws that they want to shove through and their awful judges and their bad taste and their awful hair and their QAnon craziness. Um, Everything's projection with them. Oh, uh, Biden's on drugs. He gets a shot in the ass. Yeah, I wonder who that might yeah, be. Yeah, it's real easy uh. to tell what's going on. And also, they're terrified. They wouldn't keep issuing these edicts like the anarchist zones and the uh, um, all the craziness. They're desperate. They yeah, I feel like they're kind of backed up because what nobody's... And, and I don't want to sound like Alex Jones here. Uh, what? What you're not going to hear straight up from the media is really how underwater he is. He's never been that popular. Yeah, there's a bunch of psychos. Yeah, there's a bunch of these. Everyone in New York hates him and uh, always has. It, it, there's never been a moment where he was over 50% with the public at any point when he was elected and for four years. So to me, when you start to see the people recede from him, women uh, and other groups, uh, as the pollsters say, and with with the unmasked rallies, I think killing your fans is a, a Does great it plan. Does the Bill Hicks joke? It's a great yes, absolutely thinning of the herd. Right, killing your own fans. Bill Hicks used to go, um, "Why would Judas Peace put like a um, backward message from the devil on their record so that people would kill themselves?" You know what? We're rich. We got drugs and you know sex. I'm sick of it. What could we? But what if? What if we put a satanic message that would make people kill themselves? You want to lessen your fan base. No, this is it. It's all active measures. And um, that's why it's so insidious. Because people buy fake news and they buy it wholesale. And they don't use lateral thinking or any kind of critical thinking to actually consider that the facts before you... The people that are going to drink bleach and silver are really not thinking at all. We're having a hard time because I'm having to deal with, uh, as, as everyone in America is... Friends and relatives who you're really, really disappointed with. And do you keep talking to them? Do you keep trying to convince them? My call is you keep trying to convince them till the very last minute. And then, you know, it is what it is. At a certain point, as you and I have always discussed, with family, it's, you know, sometimes you have to pull the nuclear option. I have no problem undoing right? that. Right? Um, but it's, a, it's really difficult for people because if someone's loved you and you've loved them, it's hard to pull the cord on that, you know? But... but- do you really feel like they were ever that good of a person? If well, no, not in light of the information perceived, but that's what I'm saying. It's worth a try to make that stab to convince someone. And you could even use uh, rationale and common sense doesn't always work. But you could say, for instance, remember when you used to go, as I love Biden, the ballpark. He's going to the ballpark in the barber shop, and he's getting his. You know, he always goes come to. Come on, man. Yeah, he's going to places. Yeah, come on, yeah from man. the fifties that he went when he was little. Um, but he, he's right about this. Biden always emphasizes this point. The reason why you can't go to church, the reason why you can't see your grandmother, the reason why you can't have a party in the goddamn backyard, the reason why I can't hug my friends, the reason mm. why I can't shake hands and smoke joints with the people who come to the podcast. Perform. I can't perform on stage. Uh, but there's even on an elemental level, like. 
The reason you can't do any of these things is this was mishandled from the beginning with malfeasance of forethought. Yes. It's a criminal act of genocide against the American people perpetrated by one party. So if you're looking for a difference between the two parties, Mitt Romney and Obama, you could have argued, oh, there's only 50 cents worth of distance. You know, oh, they're both warm. Really? No, I'm just putting the bro argument forward. But I'm saying now there's no more room. So you could say to your There's no room at all. Or your friends or your relatives. Um... The reason why you can't go out and eat, the reason why you can't go see the football or whatever. Today I had to, to see a doctor so and, and he is in his 70s, yeah. I think. And he, and he said to me, uh, vote early. And often. And often. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we're all just like, let's. can we live? Can we please live? People are going through superhuman efforts to make this election work. And I mean the post office, I mean the, the teams of lawyers that Biden and Hillary's group and all who have, they're going to monitor this. We're almost in like a Nicaragua election here where we yep. really have to guard against. Hillary Clinton said that she had teams of lawyers that I, I'm sure her organization and her and Bill Clinton's foundation yeah. are, they have lawsuits against various states that are trying to suppress the voter. The Biden campaign sending groups out to uh, loads of places yes. to monitor the election, and um, but a lot of these these uh, lawsuits that uh, Hillary Clinton's involved in have have been won mm. in the last two weeks, and it's very exciting. Oh, uh, uh, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, so who threw the Green Party off? Uh, Right. We had Michigan, we had Wisconsin. Yes, and they've they've thrown off uh, other third party candidates that will go nameless. Yeah. Um, and making it easier for people. And, and uh, There's been a lot of wins in the courts this week. Yes. Actually, four or five different states have yes. come through. And that's, a, that's part of why the hysteria, and that's why anarchist enclaves today and all that. Because that was a well, reaction, that, but too. Also, I think that that's a, a, a jab at New York because their attorney general, uh, Letitia James, is fierce. And she is going after... 45's taxes yep. and his financial and That's going to happen right now. Because if you, she wouldn't have even announced it or mentioned it today unless it was already all, all the way underway. And of course, there's uh, the hero, Eugene Carroll, who has the defamation lawsuit against him um, about him calling her a liar for saying that he assaulted her at Bergdorf's. Yes. Uh, and that this- woman is uncommonly brave. Things are going through on a million fronts. Let's read a couple more candidates here. Yes, please. Uh, Lulu for Texas. Uh, Lulu is a proud first-generation Lebanese-American in Collin County. She's at Lulu for Texas. Um, Kim Manjown is our very own right here in California. Another veteran. Kevin McCarthy is the minority uh, whip in the um, uh, Congress, the lower house. He's from California, but he runs the 45-line Real hardy, super ignorant. There's parts of Northern California and Southern California uh, where it gets a little freaky out there. And there's a lot of gimme caps. I mean, I love well, California. When, once more. it gets rural to the east, it, it does get, yeah. Well, someone once said, if drive any east from any city 15 minutes and all of a sudden the music changes. But also, it's California not just that, is an though. enormous right. state. There's 40 million of us. We're a country. Exactly. Bigger we than have, you. We have everybody. If I haven't reemphasized this, we're so much more important than you. And if it's not parochial enough for you, Jennifer and I are going to eat an avocado on the air in front of you right now just to prove how parochial we can be to the entire can I, the can world's I just, most annoying 
I want to mention that one thing that has just delighted me uh, during this uh, the last couple months is that there's construction going on in our neighborhood, yeah. which is super irritating. But the thing that's fabulous is that there's a taco truck that comes by at lunchtime and they play La Cucaracha. Yeah, they play a lot of different classic Mexican tunes. I just love that. And that is the most, I mean, don't give me a taco truck on every corner. Um, Because they're delicious. Um, Can I just, uh, one thing that it reminded me of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her her callers, um, the Democratic Party has been getting donations of $19.08. And Explain why. Clayton Cox said he was wondering what was going on. Um, he said that we were getting the week after Kamala Harris was announced as the vice president can, candidate, they were getting one donation of $19.08 every 15 minutes. And it's the year her African-American sorority was founded, uh-huh. 1908. Right. So 19 19- Dollars and eight cents in tribute, and her pearls that she wears. Mm-hmm. It's also about that's what they were called: the pearls, the right. women that founded the sorority. Wow, at Howard. Yes, that's fantastic. Also, let's talk about the shoes for a minute. First of all, there was the uh, uh, the Converse. Well, I was going to say the Chuck Taylors, which oh, were yeah, yeah, the Converse, yeah. Uh, I wore them all through uh, college because they cost, in those days, uh, 45 cents. You know, it was the Depression. Yeah. We were scuffling. And then I would meet up with the Bowery Boys. We benounced. Um, no, I, it was college, and uh, they were $19. So, And there was a place on 6th and Mission, that, which was, as you recall, in those days, like... 6th and Mission is kind of the worst spot oh, in honey, San Francisco. Oh, It is. It always traditionally, like, Ew. poverty, crime, drugs. Well, but there was a not stand... Not but some very exciting street life. A stand there, an f- outdoor stand with shoes, where they had a Converse Whoa, selection. really? And I would go there because they were really cheap. They were, like, $18 or whatever. And uh, red, white, and black were your options. And red was fun. Mm-hmm. Red was like, whoa, what's crazy? And I got the high top ones. Yeah. And then I would draw all over them with a pen. It's very Ramones. I was a ch- I was younger. I think I got away with it. Uh, but what I'm saying is Chuck Taylors have always been that option. Mm-hmm. They're always that great shoe. And she was wearing this really groovy pair of like, you know. But the, the thing is, is. Hers weren't canvas. People were saying that, oh my God, she's, she's pandering or whatever with her Timberlands. Um, she's been wearing Converse and Timberlands for years. And I love Don't that call she it a wears callback. jeans. Yeah. She has her, her, when she was something last year, it was Converse and jeans yeah. and a blazer. I oh, mean, well, no. That, that's her thing. The Timberlands she wore to the fires here and did a, a thing with Gavin Newsom. Oh my and, God! The photo of Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris—I just thought, how lucky is well, let's, California? Well, I want to get even more reassuring and shallow, yeah, Jennifer, and Bay Area because let's the just governor, gaze. The, the governor—I'm gonna the governor, uh, our tall, handsome, uh, coke-throated governor was—he um, wore a, a black jacket that had 
a, a California golden bear or whatever. They were both so cute. And it was on the corner and with giant like campaign pockets and whatever, like he was going to get a, you know, North Tobruk. Mm-hmm. And she was wearing that groovy, groovy jacket. That's that had where the, you, you hide your, um, uh, Bay Area cheese, mm, right? In like right. some crackers. I've got a, a thing of some, uh, Marcona almonds. Mm. I got a half a bag of dank. And a, um, a, an, a a small bottle of wine stuck in my. <laughs> she had that jacket that was like a pull in that had the little thing, the stringies, whatnot. And they look so hip standing there together because he's tall and good looking and she's short and good looking. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh wait, this doesn't look like anything from the other side. They're both great looking. They're both wearing really cool clothes. They're empathetic. Um, they they're give smart. a damn about whether the, everything goes forward or not. And, oh, they're smart. They're talking about climate change. Yeah. And if you uh, watched it all this week, I know you're not from Cali, and I'm sorry we're so provincial. Um, during that terrible, terrible meeting where 45 came out, um, at one point, um, Newsom simply said across the table in his mask, climate change is real. Yes. You know how 45 is. It's not real. It's a salamander that lives in the sky. It's jokes. I, I love that no California official met 45 at his plane. No, he landed quite alone. Yeah. Uh, one last senator, because it was such a great day for him today. Uh, Cory Gardner went on record today saying that he was going to do whatever 45 wanted with the next SCOTUS pick. I hate the word SCOTUS. The next Supreme. John Hickenlooper's running against him. John Hickenlooper's stuff's gone off the charts tonight, you guys. Nice. Make Colorado believe who, who. Um, what about Ronald Bell? I wanted to hear that story. Oh, yeah. Um, I came across... Hang on for a After we... Oh, sorry. <laughs> They did it in every genre, and that's why I love them. At 17, we fell in love. So smooth. High school, sweet love. Really? Love was so brand new. We took the vows of man and wife. Forever. done a, a eulogy for him but I came across another obituary where uh, in the New York Times he started playing music in elementary school I played trombone and cello first but gravitated toward the sax because it looked sexy and had a lot of keys. The performance a few years later sealed the deal in 8th grade I played Misty by Errol Garner and all the girls in the audience screamed <laughs> I said, all right, now I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I, I love Errol Garner. I thought that Me was too. awesome that he said. And, and then this uh, item, the Bell household in Jersey City, New Jersey, was steeped in jazz. The boy's father, Bobby, was a professional boxer whose friends included Thelonious Monk and Miles Davis wow. sometimes visited. Isn't that great? And cool was it, like EWF was a jazz band. They were both mm-hmm. jazz bands. Mm-hmm. Ronald Bell was a composer 
um, his brother's cool. And um, they were just such a groovy. Oh, yeah. They did something that's so hard to do. They achieved massive success and they were still groovy all the time. They're a good band. And deep. Here's Ronald. Stanley Crouch. Oh, oh, first I was going to wow. mention Barbados. Oh, right, Barbados, because, where there's hot action. Yeah, their prime minister, Mia Motley, uh, has revived a plan to remove the queen as head of state and for them to become a republic next year. She quoted a warning by the Caribbean island nation's first prime minister, Errol Barrow, against the UK loitering on colonial premises. So great. The time has come to fully leave our colonial past behind, she Isn't said. it awesome they're throwing that off? Uh-huh. The, ga- the colony gained independence in 1966, but had maintained a formal link with the monarchy. And so... Uh, Mia Motley, a long-standing Republican, quoted a warning by the Caribbean Islands Nation's first premier uh, about loitering. Barbados has developed governance structures and institutions that mark us as what has been described as the best governed black society in the world, she said. Since independence, we Barbadians have sought constantly to improve our systems of law and governance so as to ensure they best reflect our characteristics and values as a nation. She's the first female prime minister of the island and the leader of the Barbados Labor Party. Um, She went in a landslide victory in 2018. Mm. And wouldn't that be beautiful that she would lead them into this new era? It's so great because um, Barbados is such a beautiful place. And Jennifer and I went there years ago. I got offered a free gig, and believe me, nothing's free. But <laughs> we had a great time anyway, and a lot of things that we still talk about a lot. Um, the culture there is so beautiful. The people are studious. Mm. and um, That's where uh, Shirley Chisholm exactly. was sent by her relatives to um, study. It, it's uh, the, the people there are, are quite uh, sober and studious, mm-hmm. and... Uh, the English people are libertines are yes totally and we were actually told by an English man that uh, we we question the upkeep of the roads and he said the roads are fine yeah there's deep holes and people having to walk well there's troughs by yes, the side of the road right. you and, can just go off no lights and women of every age and children of every age were forced to walk through these things and he said the roads are fine um, we met a lot of colorful characters there, many of whom were, <laughs> let's be very honest, c- 
criminal, and I mean in a ground. And green. some of them were in To Serve With Love, the movie. We met Christian from To Serve With Love. Um, that was the best part. Some of the people we met were literally criminals and um, and high end. Some know. of them had planes Some on other hiding. islands. Yeah, so that they could make it quick. You were like, what? Wait, no, what? that's the kind of Caribbean criminals and it, they were. And, it was, and they were so English that they were having. Uh, we were there at Christmas time. Sunday we were lunch. Having Sunday lunch <laughs> in a ninety degree heat. It was. What is Christmas time? We were having Sunday roast. Which means uh, roast beef, Yorkshire pudding, which is this weird concoction. And I just remember it's basically a bowl for gravy made pouring. of dough. It yeah. was pouring, and, it, and we were like dying of the heat. And, and everyone drinking. We were having drinking Sunday roast. rum and wine and whatnot. And Christian re- recited a soliloquy from Henry IV? Yeah. yeah. Was that it? Yeah. No, it was good. Awesome. We, we few, we lucky few. Awesome. And um. Then we went to Christian's Bar, which he owns there. His he restaurant. T- he told us about working with Betty Davis in the West End. Mm-hmm. Um, and I quoted some stuff from To Serve With Love that he, of scenes he was in. And he was like, what? Because I was like, do you remember the scene where he takes the doll away from you or whatever? And he was like, oh, my God. And I thought, yes. <laughs> they were so nice. Um, and uh, really strange. But Barbados is a groovy place. It's really, it's way close to South America and not really... In the well, middle that, of the was Caribbean. The, that was the surprise that we got to Jamaica, and then you get on another plane, and then you fly. Hours. A, yeah. It's like when you get to New Zealand, and you're like, oh, no, we're still three and a half hours you're from You're almost Oz. to South America. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is bigger than we suspected. Yeah. As Columbus once discovered. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, he hit a lot of islands, but I think he was always like, what? Another one's four hours the, the, away? I think the, the thing that we were talking about today was that... Uh, the locals were trying to active. They were actively trying to keep us away from English people, the Anglo's that were. It's because he liked us. They liked us. They yeah, were, they, we but, were but, nice but to them. They're, they're they're square, and they were like, you know, you don't want to party with these people. We went to the Friday. Which I thought was really cute. It was really, it was really sweet. We went to the Friday night fish fry. At, um, that uh, was fun. That, which is this outdoor fair, and because it's the Caribbean. Uh, we went and got our fish. It was great. You know, you always like open air on the grill and whatnot. And rice and everything. And then it poured rain and we had to hide under an awning. And uh, it was just so much fun. Anyways, to get back to your story, it, I'm so uh, absolutely chuffed. Yeah, that I, I just wanted to mention that that had happened and that she's the first female prime minister of Barbados. Uh, it's a groovy place. Stanley Crouch is swirling in the heavens. Stanley Crouch is not swirling in the heavens. He's arguing with St. Peter Isn't he? over some picky matter. I read this awesome uh, recollection by Wynton Marsalis, who was very close with him. He mentored Wynton Marsalis. Yes, he did. Stanley Crouch was an He started Jazz at Lincoln Center, right, with him. On jazz. And he, he knew everything about everything, but was opinionated to the extreme. If you were Mary Baraka or Toni Morrison or... Um, Wynton Marcellus wrote, Stanley and I spoke almost every day for over 35 years. Although many of our conversations ended in argument, speaking with him was one of the most fascinating and richly rewarding experiences of my life. It was impossible to converse with him and not learn something. Right. He once called me late at night and announced... Oh, God, I love this part so much. Because this reminds me of so many people that we've known and loved. Right. Called him in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. 
called him in the middle of the night and said, man, I just wasted two hours listening to another long, boring piece you wrote. What? Why do you write those long-ass interminable pieces? I asked him, what long music do you like? And went on to give a roll call of great extended compositions. He replied, none. I don't like any of them. We both had to laugh. Um, He... Matt uh, Wenton Marcellus, when Wenton was 18... Right, prodigy. ...outside of an Upper West Side jazz club. He started off saying to me, you can't be that boy from New Orleans they say, they say can play. You sound sad, but that thin, raggedy jacket is telling me you don't know anything what? about New York. Wow. So you might be him. I had no idea of who or what he was. I came back to him with, man, you got the nerve to talk bad about somebody while you standing up here looking like a raccoon with rings around your eyes. Wow. We immediately hit it off. Yeah. Because he didn't back down or crumble and he that was a kid. That is fantastic. He loved to investigate all kinds of things and was always telling me, go see Goya or Romare Burden or go hear Goya. Cecil Taylor or Cecil Taylor. or read this or that. Interestingly enough, over time, I realized that many of the pieces and ideas he suggested checking out were contrary to his own tastes. He but would that's been always real... say, right? Catholicity yeah, of taste. I was say Catholicity. Check it all out. Earn your own prejudices, man. That was also Earn my, your my own daddy's prejudices. philosophy. So Ellis. it was easy to understand where he was coming from. Oh, and this part. I love going to see things that are run counter to your taste. Right? But that's what how you explore and how you... And I love fighting about it. And because debate is how you... You have to... to answer for your opinion right and no, americans no, aren't, aren't good that. at no. that american that's the weakest strength americans weakest are always like oh yes yeah no, that's no. great like four people ever answered for their opinion um so he asked him did i know any mexican trumpet players to which i responded uh went marsalis responded yes rafael mendez he was one of the greatest ever and as a kid played for pancho villa to which Stanley Crouch said, laughed and said, you see, that's why you can't play. You've never played under the life or death heat of battle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it reminds me of, of so, so many people that we've known. He was in uh, all of the Ken Burns. Well, he was in jazz in the Civil War. And this is the line from the L.A. Times um, piece on him that I thought was so beautiful. It was ever a blend of high art and straight talk. The profound version of what he considered, excuse me, the prose version of what he considered the profound democracy Mm. of jazz. He saw his country, his work, and his life as intertwined advancing, quote, through argument, through contradiction, through reinterpretation, grounded and graced by a spirit of tragic optimism. He he wrote. A, now, how definitive is that to say what wonderful. your parameters are? He he wrote a, a biography of Charlie Parker. He's yes, something of an expert about Charlie Parker, and Should he, I spend he a wrote money? about Parker um, that to a band leader, he seemed to have a crying soul, a spirit as troubled by the nature of life as it was capable of almost unlimited celebration. But the saxophone was all he really had. It provided him with the one constantly honest relationship in his life. What he gave the horn, it gave back. What it gave him, he never forgot. Stanley Crouch. Contentious. 
argumentative, combative, <laughs> running. You might call that a personality. Running gun battles with some of America's greatest artists, Spike Lee, Toni Morrison, and Amiri Baraka. Running gun battles oh with them, God. where they hated each other. He, he hung up on people. He loved Quentin Tarantino, and he accepted an award from it. Can one year for Pulp Fiction. It's all so contradictory. It's all so. <laughs> Wynton Marcellus and Jazz at Lincoln Center is a direct result of what his yes. work provided. He's a towering jazz critic. He's an author, he's a critic, he's a, a tidal force against complacency. This is Burden Dez. Stanley Crouch. I don't know where he's swirling. <laughs> you know what? Well, he's swirling. Uh, swirling. He, he's madly swirling. Yeah, all over the world. Uh, let's talk about these two jazz albums, Jennifer. Oh, yeah. There is um, Woody Shaw's last recording. Right. Which uh, happened in 1988 is coming out. It's it's called The 49th Parallel. Uh, it's the Neil Swainson Quintet. With, Who's still alive, and he, you can yes, see his videos he, on YouTube. He's Canadian. Yeah. Um, it's with Woody Shaw on trumpet, Joe Henderson on tenor sax, Gary Williamson on piano, Jerry Fuller on drums. Can I spin a little? Joe, yes, please. Joe Henderson missed the first session and then called Neil Swainson the, <laughs> the next day and very casually was like, hey, you know, I'm in town. Oh, you were supposed to be here yesterday, man. And asked where he could get something to eat. Oh, Neil's, uh, right. Swainson directed him to Chinatown. But uh, Did you say this was in T.O.? Uh, I think it was Vancouver. Vancouver? Um, what do you just, yeah. It's fourteen ninety nine Canadian from Cellar Live, this album. We're listening to a thing on YouTube of it. And it's the last recording that Woody Shaw was on. Before he died. There's also a couple of instructive videos by Neil Swainson, the bass player, because he's still around, where he talks about it and gives, you know, breaks yeah, it down. Yeah, there's like a mini documentary yeah. about it. It's really, it's swinging now. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And uh, Woody Shaw, you know, um, checked out early, but is just Titanic. Oh, yeah. So, did This it. combination. Well, we saw Joe Henderson when he played the... Jazz, jazz bakery, bakery. Uh-huh. yeah we had a place in LA called the jazz bakery you guys because <laughs> it had been it was, a bakery it was cleverly the, they decided to call it it was the called jazz the hell bakery. yeah yeah it was great a beautiful beautiful building still there and um uh, yeah, the the Jazz Bakery ain't, but the, the Helms building is still there. Green trucks drove around Los Angeles with guys wearing uniforms with little bow ties. And to your house, they brought loaves of bread and shit. And it was like a real big deal in LA for years. Well, and then the the next uh, album I wanted to mention... Wait, let's spin this for oh, a second, yeah, though. Um, well, this is Jeff Anderson, but let's dig it anyway. Showing up late. I love showing up a day late and going, hey, right. where can I get some Chinese food? What was the line that Chris Thomas, who recorded Toots and the Maytals in so many groups, uh, I remember an article with him. He owns Island Records. I'll be there Tuesday, Thursday at the latest. <laughs> Not four o'clock. Chris Blackwell? What did I say? I don't... Chris Blackwell. <laughs> I, you know what? Maurice Groove.
Here's our Woody. They have a really good sound together. Let's get to your next one. Well, Pharaoh Sanders, we also saw at the Jazz Bakery. Oh and my God, you're right. We did see Pharaoh Sanders at the Jazz Bakery. He's going to be 80 next month. What? And he's having a live stream concert from LA October 13th. Wow. And so you can check that out. It's from Zebulon, which is so Pharaoh Sanders. And if you read about Pharaoh Sanders, it's great because Sun Ra takes credit for yeah. naming him Pharaoh. Yeah. His name was Pharaoh. And uh, he moved to Oakland from Arkansas. So far, I'm loving this. And he says, Pharaoh Sanders says that his grandmother called him Pharaoh. Really? Yeah, Pharaoh. So there's, there's competing, but Sun Ra takes credit for it. Right. Um, Sun Ra can take credit for anything. <laughs> um, we were, uh, you know, we were reading the other day. Joe Henderson lived in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, Pharaoh Sanders lived in Oakland, which is awesome. Across the bay. So, because we're again obsessing about the Bay Area in California, <sighs> and Pharaoh Sanders. Th- this is from '77. This right. piece is called uh, "Harvest Time." It's so just. Mm-hmm. Deep and thoughtful, and I mean, it's it. He has so many different. There's the free jazz. There's the, you know, intergalactic. He was, he was in the group. Yeah. Here, yeah. let's dig this it for a second. This is really beautiful. Let's just play some of this jazz. He's so worth seeing live. I've Where is he going? Is he going around the country, lot. Jennifer? Is it no, just... he, Greg, it's now. Yeah. He had a tour. Right. He's not having a tour. He's having a virtual concert that you can log into. Uh, it's Zebulon. Well, I didn't mean he was traveling. My goodness. <laughs> Z-E-B-U-L-O-N. And you can log That's on so and get a ticket, yeah. it, isn't it? It's it's fabulous. October 13th is the date of the concert. Oh, thank God it's not crashing any of the dates I was promoting. And uh, I think it's just awesome that he's doing that. And uh, it made me think about um, the human troll Van Morrison. Oh, my God. And his lockdown protests. What on. happened with this? Well, nothing. It's just so. He he's never been human, right? I mean, he's a human troll mm. in so many ways. Are we going to play any van? Um, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's accusing scientists of making up facts. Um, as a, an expert on right wing extremism, who we've quoted before, Mark Pickcavige said. It's another song to add to the soundtrack of the apocalypse. Right. And it made me think of a couple stories. Uh, About Van Morrison. Yeah. One was, uh, and I can't remember where I read it, when we lived in London. Right. 
there there was some kind of party at a, a big show yeah. party at a warehouse, <laughs> and he came to the back door, <laughs> and the, he came to the back and door, and the security guard opened it, looked at him and his little pork pie hat, right, and, and his and his, his, his sweater, awful little yeah, outfit, his jumper, yeah, and said, turned into the crowd and said, "Did anyone call a minicab?" Yeah, a minicab driver is yeah. awesome. And then we were talking to. Uh, showbiz manager in the 90s. Yes. And she said that a friend of hers had rented him a flat mm-hmm. in central London. Mm-hmm. And that approximately a month or so later, right. he phoned this person right. and said, where do I take out the garbage? So it had been <laughs> gathering in his flat for a month. Like, he's just a little pig. And then we saw him. And then, so we saw him, uh, we were with our friend Yoram oh. in Notting Hill at a place that's no longer there on Portobello Road. I know, but I stood Upstairs. next to it. I lost you. I, I stood yeah. on that corner and looked up at it. Yeah. It's not there anymore. So we were we were upstairs at brunch. Yeah, it was a brunchy little place. And for some reason, maybe we were really late, probably. Yeah, I was one in the afternoon. To the brunch. Yeah, more our time, right? Yeah, 3.30. And so the only <laughs> other table is Van Morris and his wife and daughter. Yeah. He... Was wearing sunglasses. Mm-hmm. He, I remember Yoram just like going like, and and he didn't he didn't speak Mm-mm. to his wife or daughter. He drank, he drank a an of entire wine. bottle of wine, yeah. and he didn't talk. Mm-mm. He didn't talk to anyone. And I thought, well, this is the the little troll that would say that he doesn't believe in being masked and dealing with an epidemic. Oh, the anti-masking. Or a pandemic, rather. Yeah. Um, the health man- minister for the UK has had to describe the songs as dangerous. It's uh, I, I, Disappointing isn't really the word. Right? And, and David Beard, the journalist, pointed out Friday, Toots Hibbert, Ellis Marcellus, Trini Lopez, Manu Dibango, Lee Konitz, Wallace Roney, John Prine, John Prine, Bucky Pizzarello, right? Mike Bono, and, Mike and Henry Game, all, right, all of whom we've are, been in. Are, are some of yeah. the musicians who've died this year from the pandemic. Huh. So maybe Van would like to sit down no, he and wouldn't. Uh, quiet up. In, all, in tribute, we're not going to play any money, but I will say this, as you've often said it, uh, anytime a Hollywood movie is grappling with uh, the fact that it has no plot, particularly rom-coms, they'll often throw in a Van Morrison song to beef up the soundtrack. Well, you know, when you can't write. When the writing when, ends. Yeah, when you can't. What, what's, where's when the story the writing, going? And then all of a sudden, yo, sweet! Tupelo, honey. And then you're like, oh, okay. All right. Like, really? Very he, quickly, what about go. this story? Um, a billionaire did the unthinkable. In San Francisco, yes, again, we're going back to the Bay Area. His oh, name is God, Chuck Feeney. Oh, yes, In his please. 80s, he co-founded the duty-free shops that anyone who's ever traveled Has abroad, been ripped off by it during has, their travels. Yeah, has decided that they need that. I bought that. perfume and cigars. Right. Why did I do that? I bought cognac and I chocolate. I need more chocolate. Chocolate. Tea. Um, he co-founded duty-free shoppers in 1960. Yeah. This is the exciting part. This month, he signed the dissolution papers of his philanthropic endeavor, mm-hmm. which is called Atlantic Philan- uh, the Atlantic Philanthropic. And um, 
He sort said of it was philanthropy, as it's yes. called, the Atlantic it philanthropy. It was his ambition. He said to have his last check bounce. He made eight billion dollars. He gave one point three billion to the Republic of Ireland. His family was his family was from Ireland. No, not with that name. Five hundred and seventy million to Northern Ireland. Right. Um, he was from a working class family in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. He sold umbrellas on the beach, sometimes sandwiches. His giving surpasses the Mellons, the Rockefellers, and the Duponts. Mm-hmm. That was uh, Neil O'Dowd and Irish Central. Can you imagine at this late point they've been billionaires for a hundred and something years? All of those families. It, it's just inconceivable. And that he gave more than they. He gave in one lifetime more than they all gave. What a beautiful person! And he and his wife Helga live in a rented apartment now in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, after the death of his nephew, he decided to invest heavily in the healthcare sector. Um, he said that there's a saying that wealth does not change people. It only reveals their true personality, which reminds me of what Michelle Obama said about the presidency. Yeah. Um, that you meet people who are the most powerful and they're not No, that she said that it reveals who you are. Yeah. Wealth brings responsibility, he often said. People must define themselves or feel a responsibility to use some of their assets to improve the lives of their fellow humans or else create intractable problems for future generations. He felt that wealth, uh, that property spoils people. He'd never wanted any of the projects named for him. He always wanted to remain anonymous. And he gave $8 billion he, uh, to Vietnamese uh, medical funds. He set up uh, on uh, Roosevelt Island in New York, uh, a center to, to uh, study brain health. Um, I think his, his, the, the effects of his uh, care and giving are profound. No question. You can go on The Atlantic Philanthropies, and that's spelled P-H-I-L-A-N-T-H-R-O-P-I-E-S dot org. Um, There's a giant site there where they've set up this enormous administration, and it's being carefully sorted out and carefully dealt it's not a willy-nilly project at all. He he really mm-hmm. did what no other billionaire did and divested himself of his entire fortune. Yep. He's he's in his late 80s now and to to have given to have made and given away 8 billion dollars. And apparently he in his in his personal life he was very frugal in his giving. He was he would take uh, the massive challenge and just go at it. Mm-hmm. Like here, we're just going to give this this fund healthcare, a lot of healthcare, millions of so, dollars. If you go on the site, it has it: uh, racial equality, social equality, brain health, health equity. Mm-hmm. It's really serious, and it's uh, spelled out step by step. Well, unlike you know, other philanthropic ad- endeavors are often to wash. The uh, yeah. the image of the entity you mean like Rockefeller or the person. And, and all the ones we were talking about before. Yeah, I mean, this is just a, a lovely really thing to is. read about. His name is Chuck Feeney. Chuck Feeney. Um, 
go on the census, census.gov, go on to IWillVote.com, check your status, make sure you're going to vote, make sure you're registered. Uh, here's something that you need to know. The Emotions, Pamela Hutchinson, they had so many good songs and they're just fantastic. A gospel group, a soul group. This is tied to Maurice White too. Well, very much so. They spent a lot of time at Stacks and whatnot, and of course they did loads of genres, but Maurice White, uh, they comboed up for this jam, which is a great dance classic. Um, Boogie Wonderland. Didn't he write their hit though too? He did, but I was, uh, what? Oh, I hate when that happens. Here we go. I'm leaving that in because I don't give a shit. Wow, it sounds like an Earth, Wind, and Fire jam, but with the emotions. Wow, that's because it is. Pamela Hutchinson is a... Decidedly taking an enormous victory lap around the heavens tonight. She'd been facing challenges, health challenges for years. Um, her family said, our beautiful sister will sing amongst the angels in heaven in perfect peace. We request that um, I kindly ask our fans and friends to respect our privacy. We appreciate all kind words, photos and videos you may post. Um, what was the video we were watching earlier? Well, it was. I, I showed you a couple. There was. A, they were on Midnight Express with Casey and the Sunshine Men, which I quite appreciated. And uh, Casey gave them a glowing opening because he said uh, that he worked in a record store. And when he was packing records in a record store, in the late 60s, he was digging on the emotions. Pamela joined a little bit later. They're a family. Um, but this is the jam that we all know them by. And this is the jam with which we shall say goodbye. Um, you are the smartest crowd in the world. I. I'm the smartest man in the world. Jennifer's the smartest woman in the world. May every page return be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for be a cool papa bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're Barry Bonds. I wish you nothing but love.